My name is Peter Murphy-Lewis, and welcome to the LTC Heroes podcast. Join me on this journey as we deep dive into how long-term care leaders, like you, are overcoming obstacles with unparalleled solutions. I hope these curious conversations contribute to the care of your residents. Problem solver is the topic of today's podcast. Annette Greeley is a young administrator. She has been in four or five facilities in the last four years, tackling big problems that she didn't know existed before arriving at the facility. She defines it as a lot of mediocrity in the middle that get by on surveys, but once you get in, if you really care about care and you really want to make a difference, these are problems that need to be tackled. Join us as we talk about HR problems, cultural issues, infrastructure, how she approaches these changes, how she goes about it as a leader, and how she gets buy-in from both ownership and staff. If you can identify with having deeper issues than what you just see at the surface and want to chat with the peer, I'm quite sure that Annette's conversation will be helpful for you. Hello, and welcome back to LTC Heroes. Today, I'm joined by Annette Greeley, the president and CEO at Jones Harrison Residence. Annette has over 20 years of experience leadership in the healthcare industry and has helped countless facilities by solving problems they might not have even known they had. Annette, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Peter. I'm glad I'm here. Annette, we're going to jump into so many issues today, lots of problems. I've been calling you the problem solver behind your back to my team. And before we go into all of the different problems that you have learned from, focused on, fixed, let's dive into our set questions with today, what kind of valuable and actionable advice do you believe we will discover or share for the LTC industry? I think what we're going to talk about is org change management. I don't think we ever really use the language in our industry, but that is in essence what we are doing when we're always managing and looking at systems. I, I like that answer. Org change will scare a lot of people thinking that we're talking about academia, but I'm certain that you're going to get into the nitty gritty practical advice, right? Yes, yes. Great. We need to merge academia to real life. Good, good. What is one lesser known resource, book, newsletter that you go to when you want to be up to date on LTC info? You know, I really read everything. I read from the local paper to McKnight. I just, I read it all. And I think that's the way to do it. And I like reading things even outside of our industry that might be talking about our industry to give us a perspective on us. One mentor who's influenced the way that you do care in our industry. So I don't really pick on one person. I feel like people come and go through our careers in life and I pick the best part of multiple people. So I have many people and I take different pieces from them that I like. That's f fair enough. Fair enough. I'm sure some really important mentor is going to call you and say, you didn't say my name. You didn't say my name. And I know, but it's like there, there's a lot of great people out there with great ideas. Annette, you and I met because you heard the podcast, the interview with Jerry Selig, one of the first podcasts I did, and you reached out and I noticed within about 10 minutes of looking through your resume and your background, I immediately tagged you as the problem solver. And I remember you being a little bit surprised because one, you didn't get into the industry to be the problem solver. You didn't sign up for the problems. Rather, you showed up and worked in several different jobs and different facilities that looked great on paper and you started to discover that they had problems. Can you take me back to the first one? Tell me how old you were, uh, how naive you were, and then also how long did it take you to realize there was a problem, what it was? You know, you did surprise me when you called me a, a fixer because I 
never really saw myself. I, I, I'm not going into facilities looking to fix things, nor were people saying, hey, this place needs someone to come in and do some system changes on it. It just evolved. So I actually started out, you know, working in senior advocacy with senior housing. And so I probably fixed a lot of people's problems that way. And then I went in the AL world and ran those things. And so my first nursing home was back in 2015. And yes, everything looked great on paper. And then you come in and it was, I can see some, see things that we could do a little bit better or I think we really need to to change change that. And it just kept going from there as I switched to different positions. I would go in and, and I think that's just something we probably don't think about, but even as a new facilitator or you know administrator, we should walk in with our eyes open in a new building. Do you believe that it was circumstance that you had four facilities over five or six years that needed some some fixing? Do you think that it was your personality? Do you think that it do you think that that is the majority of the industry and just a lot of us look good on paper? How do you diagnose it? So I would say some of it could be me. Maybe a lot of it could be me because some people might walk in and feel like everything's good. Hey, I got good surveys. I have good staff retention. I have, you know, financially we're doing very well. Like I'm not in trouble with corporate or anything and and they're happy. So I think some of it has to be your own standards on how you want things to run. And, and I think there are facilities where people walk in and, and they're okay. And there are f- facilities that definitely need fixing. And then I think there are those that some of us just might come in and I think we just have set set standards and and we just start digging. I I find what I've learned just from going to different facilities is there's really and and some of it was like even talking to Jerry and and I've listened to your other podcast think there's a percentage that are really good and a percentage that are bad but I think there's a lot in the middle that are mediocre and we don't really talk about it and they run and financially they look good and they look good on paper but are we really taking the time to dig and see if we can make them run better i remember in our first chat you called it the mediocre middle right mediocre middle yeah mediocre middle and you said that you'd had a chat with a with a colleague who said that it might be 80 percent that look okay but once the, the the paint starts chipping, you realize that there might be something deeper. Let's dive into one of the first, you know, we're going to be careful with, with, with everyone's names and we don't want anyone to feel that we're attacking them. Rather, we want to use this this instance of sharing for others that are might be facing the same problem. So let's not go in chronological order. Let's speak to one of the one of the issues, one of the facilities you walked into. Let's what did it look like to you on day one? What did they tell you when they recruited you? And then how long did it take for you to dig up the first problem that you wanted to ta- you wanted to work on, even if you were, you know, great, getting great surveys? So in the multiple facilities, you know, day one walked in, uh, you know, they were kind of like, hey, it's a good facility. We have good survey, good staff. But when you started working with the nursing department, you found that, you know, they weren't doing coopy the way it should have been done. They were still talking about missing items and and things that we were kind of talking about a few, you know, a few years ago. And it was, and then you start working with like the directors of nursing and you kind of look at how they're running their systems. And sometimes you just kind of find that they're running systems that, you know, they get there, they they write policies and then they kind of, and then they have good survey and then they just try to, they maintain and they weren't like looking at what some of the new standards are. And so you're coming in new trying to say, Hey, here's the new standards. And I think that's, that was, that was, that's some of the stuff. And then I have, you know, walked in and it was a great facility, but you could tell it had a, an, a kind of an oppressive, it just wasn't happy. Like nobody was laughing. There was no laughter. There was no smiling. And people were pretty like 
Frank Burns serious and it was very interesting. And so it was like, okay, so how do, how do we fix that? Like, how do we, how do we work on that part? And it's, you know, every facility is different. So, but it was like, some of it was resting on laurels and some of it is culture. So that's what I was going to ask you. It sounds like this, if it's, penetrated that deep or that wide this is more culture than it is an hr issue it's not just one boss at the top or one sour you know sour grape this this was something that was across the board how how did you start to address it and let's start off with mistakes did you make any mistakes when you first started to tackle this problem oh you know i'm sure i did i think some of it is you have to really kind of know your people. One, you have to take the time to find out how they do things because everybody, sometimes you want to go in and you're like, hey, this isn't the best practice and you want to change them and you have to really teach yourself how to gauge change, how to know the players and the change making that you're doing so that you're not, some people you can push a certain way and some you can't. And sometimes you have to do what I call natural attrition where sometimes you you might have to wait for some players to kind of to move on or change roles so that you can make change. I think one thing our industry has, I mean, we talk about turnover, but there's a lot of places that actually have a lot of people longevity. And sometimes longevity really isn't your best friend either. Because like I said, people do things and then they, 10 years later, 20, 30, 40 years later, they haven't changed anything. And yet the times have changed and you have to, to learn how to address that with them. And so probably some of the things that mistakes I made was learning how to address it. And maybe I think some of it might've been even learning how to, how much, how uh, not forceful, but saying like, you know, Hey, this is the way it's got to be done. Like, I can't, I can't sit back and wait. Like we have to move forward and, and ruffling people's feathers. That is something that, you're always, I mean, you're human, you might make, you're going to maybe make a mistake on that and ruffle feathers. I, I'm guessing that there's a certain percentage of teammates who, when you walk into this bad culture, are just have to go. There's probably a percentage that are willing to change. And then there's probably a large percentage of people that are crying for you to help change and they want to work in it can you give me an example of and and you let's let's talk about something specific and how you had to identify who was who and then how you start to go after the those people in the middle that mm, they're willing to change but they're not ready to buy in that you're the person who can do it i would say a specific one is staffing and i think staffing is actually an issue in a lot of facilities where a lot of facilities still do it on paper. And you would think that there's all these technologies, there's a lot of different vendors out there that have have uh, tools. And so you're dealing with one, staff shortages, you're dealing with overtime issues, you're dealing with, you know, people not happy because they're, they're not either getting shifts that they want or they're feel like they're working too much. And so... I've had to deal with some staffing concerns where, you know, we're still doing things manually and people weren't even using their computers for it, or they were using a computer and just the very basics of it. And we had had to go in and say, well, you know, we need to get this overtime under control. We need to get, you know, staffing under control. We need to really get a handle on how many open shifts we have. So sitting down with those players, which include those departments, and then the staffing people and saying, we have to move from paper to to a new system. Like We should be able to post our schedule six weeks out so people have the ability to pick up a shift instead of just looking at a paper and then someone, you know, people can't see the schedule unless they physically come in. And it, it was having a hard discussion and some people don't, you know, they, they love that control because they, they have their little group of people that they like to, to work with and they have their people that they know will pick up and they have people that they know will only do certain things or work certain shifts or work certain units. And you have to push them 
to say, we have to move away from that model. And it takes a lot of meetings. You have to start one-on-one -on -one conversations. I think you have to involve them from the beginning on the system change that you're doing. So if you're going to look at a new computer system or just even a new Excel format to manage it, they need to be there in the beginning so they understand why. I mean, it's kind of like you have to have your why. They need to know the why and then work with you through the why. And, and then you work with them through that process. And then even once they're up, it's supporting them and, and kind of holding them accountable as you move forward. Because sometimes that's the other thing is like, People make changes and then they just think it's done. And then three months later, you find out like it's not really being used the way you thought it was or and people aren't being held accountable. And so all that work you did up to that to get that system change is is kind of wasted or you start over. And that's a lot of time. Culture is, I want to say can probably be slippery. I'm, I know that you are an educated woman. I believe you're almost finishing your PhD. No matter how much training you have, some of it is innate. Some of it is learned. Some of it can be academic. Can you speak to what it was or how it was for you walking in, you know, as a younger version of yourself and trying to figure out how to tackle an issue that can be as difficult as culture, because I, we're going to go into other problems, you know, HR and infrastructure, but I think culture might be the most difficult, at least for a young leader. I think culture is really nebulous. And so it's hard to, when you say culture, there's so many you know, one, if you're working for a larger organization, they might have some corporate cultures that you need to help transfer into the facility that you're at. If you're a standalone, it's then creating your own culture. And so I've been in both where I've been part of corporate cultures and part of independent, you know, create your own. And I think what it really boils down to, though, with culture is, once again, it, it takes a lot of manpower, woman power, talking to your staff at all levels. And I think sometimes we go into culture change and we deal with our management and we don't talk to everybody. And so when I've had to do culture change, I really, I talk to my management, but I really prefer to talk to the aides and, and to the housekeepers and to the maintenance. And they need to know your, your why and they need to know your belief system and your accountability standards, because if it doesn't start really down at that bottom, your managers, I think, are going to have a hard time main, maintaining it. It, it, it. You can't, and I think a lot of us do it at that management level, and then still do supposed to like Reaganomics, you know, permeate down. But I think it's really hard to do it that way. It, you really have to do two paths, a management path and starting down with everybody. Where did you learn that? Did you learn that in high school from your grandmother? Did you, were you think you were born with it? Or did you read some crazy, a great book or a mentor in college? I would say I learned it from probably my, I, I grew up on a farm. I grew up kind of in blue collar and I grew up where everyone should be treated equally. And, and the most important person is, is the, janitor who you know works for the school or the people who, and it's I think it also comes from servant servant leadership if you have that servant leadership attitude and mentality you're more able to see and work with all levels and and when you're service I, so personally I just believe that if I take care of the the aides and the housekeepers they'll take care of the residents that's how I work and so if I work with them as a servant leader and help them with culture, then that's what's, that then they actually permeate up and it permeates to the residents. You mentioned the word why several times, and you talked about knowing your why. And that literature and that why movement has been popular for 10 years, and I follow it and love it and have my own why and have a team why. When you come in, because you, you are a problem solver, you probably come in with your own why, 
but you also come into a facility that has a why before you. How, how do you manage those two whys and also make sure that you're flexible to include theirs? Yeah, you have to understand their why. And so I think that's the one thing you have to step back. You can't just come in with your why. You need to, just like you go, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans. You have to go in, learn about Rome, how they do things, and then look at your why and see how you can fit your why in there. Or if their why has some problems, how do you replace their why with your why? And that just sounds like a lot of whys. But, you know, you you have to, you you can't just walk in like some with culture change or any org change. You have to take an evaluation time, learn about your system so that you can determine how you're going to make, make those changes. And I think the part of the why, too, is, you know, for example, one facility we needed to add you know, we were changing the system where the aides were doing the house cleaning and everything, and we wanted to go to a regular housekeeper and split the duties. And they couldn't understand why I couldn't just hire a housekeeper. I sat and had a meeting with them, and I went through the budget, and I explained the numbers. This is how much we'd have to pay this person. This is how much the salary costs. This is where we're at with our budget. And I feel like sometimes, I don't know if we always give our staff credit. I mean, you do have to know your staff and how much they can handle what you can not say and just give it all out. But I think respect them enough to give them the real reason and explain budgets and what, how, you know, I got to put an ad in. This is the type of, per, you know, what we're looking for. It's going to take time. If I do this, I might not be able to do that. And I had those conversations with my staff instead of just saying no, and then we do that a lot. We just say no, and we don't tell them why we make the decisions that we make. When when you when you left the the facility that you started off and you didn't realize they had a culture problem, what was the culture like when you left? And do you know if the changes that you helped implement are long-lasting? They are. By the time I left that place... We were having employee Christmas parties. We had, you know, fun days. We did like quiz quiz exams. Like we just made it. It, it was about having fun and and having and we'd incorporate wellness, uh, fun things into that. And we would incorporate, you know, if you got your Relias done, you could win a prize. And we would, you just made it fun. And I and that place still does that stuff. They're still having fun. Let's move on to problem number two. What other issues did you find in your next facility and how'd you discover them? Well, I think walking in, there's, you know, one, how do you discover them? One, I, I, I meet with all the departments and then you kind of observe and that takes time, but you kind of find, you know, some of the issues were with some nursing systems and I'm not an RN by background. I will say I've been, I have pretty much been raised by RNs and I know how to speak RN, but it's, it's always making sure that you're trying to learn and, and absorbing knowledge from whatever you read or wherever you go. But just finding out that, for example, they're not using the electronic health record system to its full. So they're still doing paper and they're still doing electronic health records, which causes double the work for your nurses. And so it was, spending time in those departments, kind of looking at what they're doing, uh, questioning why they do it, and then, you know, just kind of knowing, doing your research on what's going on in the industry and, and how to create efficiencies or how to make things operate better and taking that knowledge and then saying, hey, I did some research uh, or I've talked to some other facilities and this is how they do this and and this is why we should convert to going totally paperless and then and then you know find it out and then you're talking to the nurses and then you're hearing the nurses say well I'm running overtime because I'm doing all this charting and then you're like well why are you doing behavior charting every day you know you don't you know do you have to do it every day it's you got to get in there and dig and ask questions and what did you discover I, I I'm not able to put my my finger on what this problem is that you're speaking about because inefficiency is it training is it lack of a boss a supervisor of being present hands off 
Uh, I think some of it's leadership. It was a leadership. So when the leader doesn't buy into using electronic health records, you know, or doing newer systems, the staff underneath aren't going to do it either. And so it's, it was a combination of, of leadership and systems that needed to be, you had to address with, you know, as an HR issue, like these issues are happening. Overtime is happening because I don't have leadership that is training and working with the staff to use the electronic health records the way they should be. And you have people doing paper and, and it's causing them to feel overwhelmed and it's causing them to have overtime and we need to change these systems. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. So you didn't ha- they didn't have buy-in from the management before. How long does that take for you to, you know, trickle down the, to percolate through the entire team because you came in with full buy-in, right? Like you wanted to be efficient. You realized that it was going to help care, more time with residents, better care, lower the costs. So how long did you be, did it take for you to change the workflow and across the entire team? You know, it, it, took, it, it took a good 30 days because the, the nurse leadership had to go on the floor, kind of re, we had some outside corporate people come in and do refresher trainings on the electronic health records. We had uh, the nurse, you know, the DON took leadership on the floor and, and, you know, showed them how to do shortcuts and, and started working with them and showed them how they could do their job better. And it, it took a good 30 plus days, but within totally, I would say within two, three months, they were totally paperless and, just had they felt better about their job like they it was more a doable like they weren't over overwhelmed when in the first two facilities that you've explained was ownership and management aware of the problems i would say no because i think they have some knowledge you know everywhere i've been i think they've had some knowledge that something's not right but they just don't know to the depth of it and 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 things are functioning well. They have great surveys. They financially are looking good on paper or you know maybe you know I mean as good as they can and they're doing okay with staff turnover and retention. So you know that's the thing it's like where where's your acceptance? If you're okay with that then then yeah, you're fine, but if you're if there's more to it than just those things looking good, then, you know, then you want to dig deeper. And I think like for me, you know, the companies were, you know, Hey, things are going pretty good. They, you know, we have good survey. We, you know, doing, doing okay. All those things, but they didn't. And so that's okay. So they didn't want to look any deeper into like actual systems. And for me, I look at efficiencies because I, you know, why is a nurse, you know, why, why is a nurse, you know, doing electronic health records and paper at the same time? That's just a waste of time. I had a, a coach, kind of a sales marketing coach about two or three months ago, say the following. And I'm wondering if it also applies to administrators, owners, operators in long-term care. And he said to me, he said, when consultants come in, we like to chop heads. We blame all of the current problems on the previous consultant, and then we cause a mess, and we walk away, and someone comes in and chops off our head. And so I'm wondering if you've ever had pushback from ownership when you start to identify problems that they did not foresee before, and they say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. We're good on paper. Our margins are good. We have good customer satisfaction. Have you run into that, or have you had exceptional ownership all the way through? I would say I've had good ownership. They've been supportive. I think there's been, um, when we've had to make, because of that, I've, we've had to make some HR changes. I think they, they put up with me. <laughs> They're really, they were really nice and they put up with me, but they knew like ultimately that the change, they trusted me and knew that the changes would be for the better. And I appreciate that. So I have to say, nobody was like, stop making a mess you know, why are you rocking the boat? No one has said that to me because I think ultimately, you know, in the end, it should be a benefit for the resident. Like when we're doing these things, 
the ultimate goal is providing the best care for the resident. And if it means creating some efficiencies for the staff so we can spend more time with the resident and or provide better care for them, how can you say no to that? You shouldn't say no to that. I have, I have the sense that long-term care is so complex that when a new administrator comes in, you get in the trenches and it's hard to keep your head above water to one, realize, become aware of problems and two, have the time and energy and buy-in to tackle them. How do you find the time, but also have the vision to stay above and identify these issues? I would agree with that. I, I think the other concern you have to too is sometimes you get sucked into the dysfunction or the mediocrity. And I think um, when you make time and there are plenty of books out there about how to do time management, whether it be good to great or the highly effective habits of seven highly effective habits of people or checklist manifesto, which I have now. I mean, there are so many tools and resources and mentors you know, I mean, coming in as a newer person, there are many experienced people that for me to have always been available for me if I've had to call and bounce something off or and get their opinion on something. And I think our industry is very good about that. I think it might be a little harder for newer administrators to have that comfort level to reach out sometimes. But there are, if you're not willing to, to feel comfortable doing that, there are, there's books, there's videos there's leader, leadership. I have been very blessed to be part of Leading Age Nationals, Larry Minnick's leadership program, which is basically a program about being a transformational lead, how to be a transformation leader, kind of how to do organizational management change. And and there's, and I know in Minnesota, our state trade association also has a state leadership program, which is this, which is based off the national one. And it's an excellent resource and it's an excellent tool to help train administrators in the skilled or AL world on, you know, how to be better leaders, how to help do systems change and how to how to work with your staff to get system change through. Like you in red, you know, the hat, the hat scenario where someone's a black hat, a yellow hat and a blue hat and a white hat and a green hat and everybody's got a different role. And then you throw a a scenario in front of them and the person who's got the black hat is the negative person and the yellow hat's the super go lucky let's just do it not think about the deep stuff and and you can do those role plays with that so like i said i think there's i reached out and used a lot of book resources internet resources my education resources and then it's if it's important you just you just make time i mean there's kind of a reason why we're salaried and there's days we're just going to have to put more time in. And, and then there's days where we might, you know, have a later day. But it, it's a drive to have better, to do better. There was another another facility that you mentioned you walked into and things looked good. You were recruited to take over a very you know, a very healthy facility. And you started to realize that there was infrastructure issues. Can you can you explain what it looked like on paper to you, how you started to realize that there were problems, and how do you address that? Because that seems extremely costly. So how were you able to get buy-in from ownership, and where did you start with the renovation? So some of it was came in, yes, look good on paper, and it wasn't until we had – sometimes you don't know the depth of – of a system not working well until you either have survey or an OHFC complaint and they're in there looking or the ombudsman might come in with a family complaint or you might have grievances that a family files. And sometimes those, those issues don't pop up. You're not going to find all of them right off the top and they're going to come out through other ways. And so once um, some of them I found through through survey processes um, and complaint processes. And basically then it's meeting with that department, looking at the complaint and then digging into like, what are our policies? What are your procedures? How do you hold people accountable for this? How 
What are your accountability systems? Are you doing audits? You know, are you meeting with people if they aren't following the policy? And it's doing that deeper dive. And then once you identify that, I think you have to identify that that individual in that department can, can complete the change and be the change agent and then have them do their change and, and make sure that change is where you want it to be. And then work with them and kind of make sure that holding them accountable, getting that change to happen. Like I said, sometimes issues aren't going to rear their head until sadly something does happen. And then, but then you have to be ready to do that org change or that system change with that department and, and, and do a deep dive, a root, root cause analysis. Why did this happen? How are we going to fix it? Or, or like the six scenarios where how are six ways that we can resolve this? And, you know, what's the, the easiest one and what would be the hardest one? And what do we think our staff could handle? What's the, you know, what change can our staff handle? What's the best and easiest way to educate them or retrain them on this? And then what's the best way or easiest way to hold them accountable and have audit systems to make sure it, it, it doesn't go back to be broken? Can we can we go into the specifics of this particular case? I don't know if you if it was infrastructure that you mentioned or something. Can can you speak to the specifics and tell me how you how you approach this problem? So I would say um, it was some nursing systems that were not not aware that they weren't really functioning right until we had some complaints. And in some, you know, oh, survey type stuff, uh, survey came in. And then we kind of realized some of those tags were cer- their system issues uh, that probably have been not functioning well for a while. But, you know, that's the thing with survey is they have their areas they like to look at and could be by chance that it catches an area. But it did enlighten some nursing procedures and systems like uh, for, you know, resident cares, uh, you know, you can always be looking at uh, your care plans, communications with families and change, change status notices and those type of things that, hey, these really aren't working that great. Larry, let's sit and talk about them. Let's talk to the nursing staff. How can we, how can we do care plans better? Like, is there some checklists that we should be doing to make sure that we're hitting the key points that should be in that documentation? Because remember, we all say if it ain't documented, it didn't happen. And that's how the system just works. So it was revamping those systems and making sure. And then you have to, once you figure out how you want your new system to work, be it a checklist to make sure you're getting all the hits in your care plan, training all the nurses for it. And then doing audits to make sure, you know, nurses are, you know, the managers are checking on documentation to make sure those checklists are getting hit. Annette, what what kind of leader are you? Or how how would your staff describe you as a leader? I call myself a coach. I mean, they might describe a coach and a teacher, the servant leader. I mean, I have no problem. You'll see me fixing toilets. You'll see me vacuuming or whatever needs to be helped. That's not the, you know, if I can help them to help them do their job, that's the way that goes. But I think being a servant leader, like I said, and and being a coach and a teacher is helping them. I I mean, I think there's times in management where, you know, should you be more dictator-like? I mean, there are some situations that might be emergent or resident safety and care where you have to be more like, you need to do it this way. And there's like no discussion in it that could happen and then there's this pendulum where it goes back where you don't want to micromanage people and you try to let them have freedom you know sometimes I tell my staff how many ways can you get to the number eight you know seven plus one six plus two so I'm not really worried about how you get to the number eight as long as you get to eight but if there's an issue you know like if there's an issue you know, then, then we need to address it. But I, I, I think management and leadership, you have to have that ability to be flexible where, you know, no one to let your people use creativity and go. And then there might be times where you might just have to 
sometimes being a consensus leader can be a little bit dysfunctional because if it if it just keeps spinning, then it doesn't, and you're not moving anywhere and you're not getting progress or action items out of it, then you have to stop and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And I think you have to have that flexibility as a leader. You, you, you've moved to several different positions in the last five years. I'm guessing you leave your facilities in a better place than when you showed up. How do you do that in writing? Do you have procedures and, and protocols? Do you find a protege that you teach them the things you're explaining to me now? Have it, has it changed over time? Have you gotten better, more systematic? Um, I, I say, yeah, I leave them better. I think I usually tell people like, this is the kind of facility, this is what you need in your next leader. I like to kind of, you know, if I'm in a larger organization, I'd be like, you know what? I think this person, I've had a couple of them where I was like, this person has, should have no problem doing this. And I do mentor and try to work with people. Uh, I love developing leaders. I love developing future administrators. And so I have been pretty fortunate. There have been a couple where I've been able to identify and say, you know what, this person would be great to take over. It's hard to bring someone from the outside because it's like, uh, think of it like football. You know, you get a whole new coach. They might have a whole new offensive system, a whole new defense system. And that's hard on staff too. If you go so many years with one style and then you bring in a new coach and they got a different style, it, it's, it, it's hard. And so if you can develop someone internally who has that understands the culture and kind of where you came from and how you got to where you go, the culture change, the, the leadership change, I think can go a little bit easier. Who do you turn to or what habits or routines do you have when you are in the process of trying to figure out what the issue is? You know, do you, do you just become quiet? Do you, I know, of course, you listen to your team. Do you turn, do you listen to, consume a lot of podcasts? Do you go to a professor? Do you turn to your mom? How do you, how do you figure these things out if someone's observing you? What, what's going on? So one thing, when I'm trying to figure things out, I, I get, I do get quiet and I become an observer. I like to kind of sit back and, and watch and study people. And then I, I go back to my resources and my books and some of my mentors, I will give a phone call to or a, a trusted professional friend that, you know, we, I can bounce stuff off of. And then, and then I'll talk to even my intern and then internal team just, and then I, I'll formulate some ideas and thoughts. And then I take that back to my team and I bounce that off and I'm okay if they say, Hey, that's dumb, <laughs> you know, or like, I mean, it's okay for them to, to say, you know what, I don't see how you're getting that. And I think you're missing this piece of information and I'm okay with that. Like that's, we need to be able to take that too as leaders. And then, cause I've, I've had that too, where I kind of thought someone wasn't really doing their, what they were supposed to be doing. I didn't really know what they were doing during the day because it was really hard to hold their time. Like I walk by the office, they're not in there. And I'm like, or what are they doing? I, I just had a hard time getting a pulse on the accountability of their job and what they were doing during the day. And so when I was talking to my team, they're like, well, and I explained that and talked about kind of what changes I was thinking of doing. They're like, no, I think you need to say, this is what this person's doing. And you might not be seeing it, but this is actually what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, that changes the scenario because they're actually you know, working with another department or they've, they've figured out a way to multitask and, and get multiple things done at the same time. I'm just for an example, and then go back and say, okay, and then help my, the team helps me kind of rethink, okay, what direction do we need to go? So if they are doing this, maybe it's just tweaking, you know, maybe they should just have set hours. Like maybe, maybe they should be, you know, hey, to eight to nine, I will be available to my staff at that time and then, and help them, you know, with some organization of their time. It just, and I think that's good. Like you can think and process, but you do have to kind of bounce your stuff off too. I think that's the other thing. It's like, you can't really just go off in a woods, make all these decisions and changes and then come back and not have any communication with anybody. Like, you, you know, you need,
need to talk to your team and get some feedback on it. I know that you don't purposely seek out facilities that are in a little bit of trouble below the surface, but you're getting good at it. Do you have, do you, do you sense that this is your new, is this your destiny? Are you content working with a facility that's running perfectly? Or is this your, is this your MO? Do you realize that you're going to take on a next problem two or three years from now? I always say I just stay open to the universe. So I don't know where the universe is going to take me. If, if the universe takes me to another facility that, that needs help, that's fine. Right now I, I'm where I'm at and implementing system changes on them and they're, they're putting up with me and I have a great team and, and they, they're, they're putting up with me. <laughs> so trying to make things better. And I don't know, I don't, I'm not a, like I said, I, not going to peg myself. I'm going to see where, where things go. I also have a love of academia and wanting to develop future leaders. I see some of the challenges when I mentor new administrators, what they're having when they're coming into their first job. And I want to retire someday knowing that I've left an army of highly competent advocate-minded, resident-minded, org system, you know, wanting, don't be mediocre, be the best kind of team back. So I will see where my future goes. We've, we've kind of jumped all over the place in it, and I appreciate your patience. We, we've definitely talked about, you know, organizational chart and how to work on culture and HR. Is there any topic that we haven't gone into that you think is important to you or you wish that you would have had under your belt when you started down this 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 path, you know, a decade ago? I think one thing is remembering that you are also an advocate for the resident. And I think sometimes when we come into places, some of the system dysfunction is we think of a reg and we can't do it. I've been at places where they stopped providing some foods to memory care people because there was an, an incident where a memory care person ate something they shouldn't have. And the knee-jerk reaction was just like, take it out of there and, and don't put it back. And so I, I, I wish someone had told me, like, you still need to advocate for the resident. That resident can still eat that item. How do we just change the system so that it's safe for the resident to do that? And so don't tell me what you can't do because of the reg. Tell me what you can do with that reg. How can we make it happen and still comply with that reg? Because this is about the resident and they are not in a prison and they are not. You think of all the things that they've lost from their home and they're coming in here and now we're telling them, you know, as much as you try to be person-centered care, they're getting up around the same time. They're eating at the same time. They have the same type of menu and, there's a lot of control losses that they have. And so, you know, as an administrator, when you're doing, talking about rags and you're talking about systems and stuff, it, it, to me, the origin still goes back to it's helping the resident have the best life that they can have and to feel as loved and have as much choice as they can within the systems that we have to have because of the regs. Before before we wrap up, Annette, do you, is there is there a moment when you knew that you wanted to work in long term care? Is there something that happened? Did you just happen to take a class or run across an instructor who kind of pushed you this way? Do you do you remember when? You know, honestly, I have been my first real memory is seriously back in elementary. We did a trip to the VA in our in in our community, and I sat with a resident that had had a stroke and he couldn't talk. And I just sat there and held his hand. And since then, I've always been like a magnet. I love my grandparents. I was very close to my grandparents. And then when I was in college, I became a nursing assistant at a nursing home. And then I met a woman babysitting who had a master's in gerontology. And she was like, you should go into this. There's, a, you know, the population's aging. It's growing that you're, it's a great career field. And I've never looked back. That leads me to, one of the questions I like to uh, ask frequently and learn a lot from from the interviewees is if you were going to give yourself 
advice your younger self, your first day getting into the field with the knowledge that you have today, what advice would you give to younger Annette? Don't be afraid to make decisions that people might not like, because if you're going to be a leader, you're going to be in that position. You're going to make decisions people don't like and families don't like. And as long as you're doing it for the right reason, hold your ground. What would have younger Annette's, Annette said to you with that advice? She probably would have been scared. She would have been like the thought that someone might not like you or the thought that someone yeah, didn't, wouldn't like you or thinks you're a blankety blank, you know? I mean, that kind of came to me when I did have to call the police when on a domestic issue for some residents in the facility I was at and an elderly person had to go to jail. And the family was super upset. And the and that's one of the lessons my my boss taught me. She's like, you're not always gonna make decisions people like. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Well, thank you, Annette. It, I know that there are gonna be some listeners who identify with our chat today and the position that you are and the way that they are starting to unveil some some deeper issues that might not be seen on paper, where can the listeners find you online and reach out to you? I think the best one is LinkedIn. I'm on there and I check it, you know, almost daily, you know, so if you message me, I'm happy to respond back. I'm always happy to help. I appreciate your time and joining us and sharing all your knowledge, especially about solving problems. Thank you, Annette, and look forward to connecting in the future. Yeah, thanks. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit Experience.Care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.